Amen. You're going to the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy. You're going to go to chapter 8. But while you're doing that, I want to thank you all yesterday. Um, this church worked very, very, very hard yesterday. Some of you, um, we had to split some of you, and you went um, to Sheldon, and you handed out um, invitations and cards and made contacts and prayed through the city and, and just really began to do the work of an evangelist just to get to know people. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I told Brother Tiffany when he came here, I, I didn't want to be influenced by emotion. That's the first place me and my wife went when we started our ministry to try to start a church. Um, it's burning into my heart that I want something there. And I don't want to be a, be a flesh. I want to be a God. So I, I pretty much just kind of closed my eyes and held my breath and said, go. And uh, a lot of good reports came back. So I'm thanking you, you for feeling the same thing I feel. On top of that, we also met with um, Todd Berner. He is a personal friend of mine. Um, and we talked about Celebrate Recovery Ministry and um, the possibility of doing that here within all of our campuses or within the Pentecostal ministry. Celebrate Recovery helps people. Um, it's a 12-step program to help people recover and then celebrate what they recovered from. And it can be not just drugs or alcohol. It can be depression or anxiety or cutting or um, any hang-ups or hurts or bondage that has you. We want to help you work through that. We have several that are interested in that. Um, I will tell you that last night I went ahead and ordered the starter kit. Um, then it's going to be here this next week, probably the end of next week. Um, I guess I, I've, I've selected one person to kind of start reviewing it, and as they review, we'll maybe pass around. So you'll have to give us uh, several weeks to get through some of that. I don't know necessarily what it looks like in our church, but I know that it's needed, and so we want to start doing this. Uh, if you were here for the lesson, you got to hear Todd Berner's uh, personal testimony why Celebrate Recovery is so important to him. Uh, he is the pastor of a Celebrate Recovery church, or really campus. It's part of a mother church that meets on Monday nights, and uh, they have worship and take up offering and everything. But it's a, it's a place where people can come and feel safe and um, not create such a churchy environment that you may be intimidated. It's a safe place to come. In fact, it's so safe that they actually break it out by gender, and they break it out by even um, some of the hurts or the hang-ups so that you can find a safe group to begin to work with some of these issues and problems um, with other people that may be there too. So we're looking at doing that. I want to thank um, Todd Berger uh, for coming down here. Um, I've sent him several messages. Uh, he watches sometimes. He listens to some of the recordings. So if he hears this, thank you, uh, Todd, uh, for doing that. Um, also on that same note, or on a similar note, um, we had a, I, I, I enjoyed date night. Anybody enjoy date night? We have a church-wide date night. We play the newlywed game um, at date night this week. Now, many times it's teaching, and we teach for the whole hour. But this last Friday, we met in the Storm Lake campus, and we taught, or taught, we played uh, the newlywed game. And um, I will tell you, uh, at the end of the night, uh, Tyler and Amanda are our newlyweds um, here. They have been married less than two months. They scored zero ah. points. There's a couple that is about to get married in about two months. I won't mention any names, but they're sitting behind them, and they cleaned house and won. That's right, it's a process. 
and I owe them dinner. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to round up a Texas Roadhouse gift, gift certificate, and we're going to give that to them in the next couple of weeks. So, um, so we'll do that. Amen. But um, I'm looking for the other mic. Uh, well, in that same token, in that same token, right there underneath, in that same token, um, we have been blessed. Dr. Carl Wilson um, is connected with this church, and he wants to come down and provide a marriage retreat or a marriage seminar. We are working on that right now. The details are coming together April 8th and 9th. Uh, this is a Friday and a Saturday. Saturday most likely will be an all-day workshop. Um, he is asking to, uh, to let you know that there's going to be some type of small registration fee because we're going to get a book. You'll get a workbook that you'll have to go through. Um, there'll be breakout sessions that you work out of that workbook. So um, we're going to try to keep it minimal, um, you know, maybe around $20 or somewhere in that area um, to get you into that um, area. He has given me a list of about 40 items that I can choose from. Uh, I might talk to a couple of people. One of them is fighting fair. Um, anybody want to learn how to fight in your marriage? We can add that to the marriage retreat. Um, I think that's important. So he's he is putting that together for us. I, I'm trying to put it together. I'm about a week behind. I owe him a couple of answers yet. But April 8th and 9th, go ahead and put that on your calendar. And uh, we'll get you... Uh, Get you some more information on registering, and really by registering, I just mean the workbook. We got we got to figure out how to order the workbook, get the workbook here, get it ready for you uh, before that. So that'll be coming up. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse number one. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse number one. When you find that, you can stand again, just just as our tradition, um, in honor of God's word. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse number one. Um. I want to talk about something that I feel is very, very serious and very, very needful. We live in a generation that expects handouts. We live in a generation that um, doesn't understand that you have to work for some things. We live in a generation that when they get out of mom and dad's house, they're expecting to live at the same level that mom and dad were living at when they got out of the house. It is interesting, I teach in a profession that pays very well for, for professional technical help and um, the amount of money that is being offered for a kid coming out of college now is incredible. When I got when I graduated college I was offered seven dollars and thirteen cents an hour and I was I was blown away that somebody would pay me that much money to do uh, what I love to do. Um, the students that I work with right now are offering we had a student last year be offered twenty five dollars an hour and he really didn't feel that that was enough. I'm like, you have got to be kidding. With his per diem and with his, uh, with his uh, overtime that is expected, he would have cleared anywhere from eighty to 90000 a year. And he was having heartburn that that was not enough money. What in the world have we raised up in our generation? So I want to talk a little bit about um, some things that have been on my heart and and thinking, and we're getting ready again to hire or, or have a job fair, and all these students are putting their resumes together, and they're all talking about the boats and the trucks that they're going to buy and the new homes they're going to buy. We had a kid three years ago, on the day he graduated, he made an offer on a home and got it by the end of the next week, bought a beautiful ranch home based off of his salary that he was going to get. I mean, how fair is that? 
anybody grow up living in an apartment or a trailer for a while or, or I mean just I mean I'm talking about those one bedroom things that that you just you, you gotta walk sideways to get to get to the refrigerator. Okay. Now it's called a studio, yes. That's right. Three hundred feet by three hundred feet. Uh, amen. Verse number one, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do that you may live, everybody say live, and multiply. Jesus Christ wants you to live. In fact, he said he wanted you to have abundant life and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your father. God is trying to get you somewhere better than where you're at right now. Anybody believe that? But watch this. In verse number 2, here's the process you've got to understand. And thou shalt remember the way which the Lord thy God led thee these years, 40 years in the wilderness. You mean I didn't get it when I graduated? No. No, there's a leading process. Sometimes that includes a wilderness process. Sometimes that includes some suffering and some pain. Watch this. To, why did he do that? To humble thee and to prove thee that thou know or to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep the commandments or no. Verse number three goes on to say, about this humbling process. And he, God, humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Everybody say hunger. And fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee known that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of God doth man Leave. So wait a minute. He hungered. He caused me to hunger. He gave me some bread, but he said, that's not it. And said, I want you to get so hungry that you understand that you live by the Word of God only. Okay? I, I, I've got just a couple of things to share with you before you're seated. The book of Proverbs 19, 5, 15. You don't have to go there. My wife will put it up. Proverbs 19, 15 says, Slothfulness causes... Or, or, or chaseth, uh, casteth, I'm sorry, into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, there's the process, and idle souls shall suffer hunger. Wait a minute, God says he'll cause hunger, but if I don't do anything about it and become slothful, I'll go to sleep. And it will become a suffering hunger. Okay? The message version says this. It says, life collapses on loafers and lazy bones go hungry. The message version says that. I don't know if she can put that up real quick. Life collapses on loafers and lazy bones go hungry. Wow. We live in a world right now because of um, desperately trying to remove suffering we have convinced ourselves that we should make it easy on everybody. In fact, we've convinced ourselves that we need to remove the consequences of inactivity. We have convinced ourselves that everybody matters, which they do, but to the point where we say everybody should get a participation medal or ribbon. 
There are no winners and losers, we have told ourselves. Everybody is equal, therefore everybody should at least be counted for showing up. That's what we have convinced ourselves. Let's remove failure so that nobody fails. The problem is, is that there is a process to get you to where you need to go and it produces in us activity or motivation. One last verse, you'll be sitting Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, you would know this. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Three things that I just read to you. Hunger was created by God. Hunger is the connection to activity. And the good news is that if you hunger and thirst after the right things, you will be filled. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for these wonderful people. This is an awesome church and you are an awesome God. Thank you, God, that there are people sitting in those pews that have a need and desire for you to meet that need. I know, God, that you will not disappoint. I know that you will not, God, delay. Father, I thank you for being the type of God that will always meet the need. I love you, Jesus. These people love you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody say amen. amen. Before you're seated, reach over and shake someone's hand and ask them, are you hungry enough? Are you hungry? Are you hungry enough? Are you hungry enough? Then you can be seated. Amen. Are you hungry enough? Are you hungry enough? Are you hungry enough? Hungry enough. Are you hungry enough? I, I, um, I have been privileged enough to work with a lot of great people, and one of my one of my um, terms that I, I key in is when someone comes to me and says, "Pastor, I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired," because it it indicates to me that someone has finally gotten broken enough that they're willing to do something about it. When someone tells me they hit rock bottom, as long as there's something that says I refuse to stay here any longer, I don't necessarily in my mind the problems that God allows to come my way because they have been motivations to get up out of that thing and do something about it. It's interesting that people that uh, uh, that, that claim that uh, you know everything should be easy don't truly understand the motivation behind when things are easy. I'll be even more honest with you. The only time this man changes is when it gets bad enough, I want out of whatever's going on. I'm sorry, you might be you might be smarter than me and better and you just change and adjust and never have to go through the problem. But apparently I am lazy enough that I lack motivation until it gets bad enough for me to do something about my condition. It's just the way I am. I often get up and testify, man, I wish I would have gotten to church younger. I mean, I was 23 before I came to church. If there, if there would have just been uh, an opportunity for me to find this earlier in life. But then I realized it was the suck in life that got me to experience the abundant life. It was, it was the problems in life that really woke me up to the need that I needed something bigger than me to help me get out of this thing. 
And so, honestly, when I was in high school, I had a pretty good high school. I went to Hartley in high school, and it was a pretty good school, and we didn't have any problems, and life was good, and had no issues, and I was on all the sports teams, and played all the games, and got all the letters, and got all this type of stuff. We enjoyed high school, had a good time, never really got in trouble, never did anything wrong. It wasn't until I got out of high school that things started getting really bad in my life. So really, would I have changed anything when I was in high school? No, not really. I mean, I don't, I don't hang out with any, I don't know any of the high school kids that I went with, and, you know, um, um, it's okay, uh, but I wouldn't really have changed anything in high school. It was, it was pretty good, pretty easy, to be honest. Oh, I mean, I got in trouble for stealing a cookie once, and I got my hand slapped for doing something wrong, and I mean, I had little normal things that went wrong, but nothing that would inspire the type of change that I needed. You understand what, what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, you can tell me all you want how it would have been nice for you to get into church when you were younger, but very honestly, you didn't get into church until you got old enough to understand that you shouldn't be living this way anymore. Okay, well, it, it's fine. I, I, I want to preach to you about are you hungry enough? Watch, watch this scripture. Mark chapter 6, verse 48. You don't need to go there. My wife will put it up. Mark chapter 6, verse 48. Here's the truth of the matter. Here's the foundation of this sermon. When I read this about 10 years ago, I fell out of my seat, literally. I'm like, say what? Watch this. Mark, Mark. M-A-R-K. Mark? Marcos. I'm sorry. Lo siento, mi espalso, mi amor. Marcos. Piccolo. You got it? Seis. Versicular. Oh, was it 48? Okay, 48, yeah. Mark chapter 6, verse number 48. Watch this. And he, who's the he? Jesus, in this story, if you didn't know. Jesus saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them about the fourth watch of the night. And he cometh to them, walking upon the water. And then what does it say? And would have passed by them. A God that is all knowing and all seeing saw them toiling in the water. I mean, it got bad. Watched the wind come contrary to them and said, I'm walking on by. Absolutely right. A God who says he loves you enough. To die for you. Watch them struggle and have problems in a storm and say, I'm just walking on by. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just simple. When I saw that, I'm saying, say what? Jesus was going to walk by me when it got bad? That's what it says. Yes. You mean when I was in the storm, the creator of heaven and earth, who could have stopped that storm and made everything right, had it in his mind just to walk by me and ignore me. Yep. Okay. Uh, maybe you're not old enough in your Christian faith. That blows me away. <laughs> the very first Spanish word I learned was what the next verse says, verse 49. Pero. But when they saw him walking upon the, the sea and supposed that it had been a spirit and cried out. The Bible says, then he got into the boat. Yep. He was playing 
planning to walk by them. He was planning to ignore them. He was planning not to do one thing for them, but let them sit in that storm and struggle. And as they said in one of the other Gospels, we are going to die. He said, yep, that's why I'm walking by. I want to know, do you want it bad enough for me to get involved in your mess? I mean, are you just really praying, praying, praying one of those prayers? God, if you just get me out of this problem, I promise that some year, some day, some decade, somewhere when I get old, that maybe I would go to church and maybe I would fall in love with you. You're just praying one of those, Jesus, get me out of jail prayers, then Jesus said, I ain't got nothing for you. But when you get earnest enough, when you get hungry enough, when you get desperate enough, Jesus said, then we can start fixing some things. That scripture messed me up. I, I happen to know, because I pastored long enough, there's a lot of players in Christianity. I mean, they, Jesus somehow turns into a Santa Claus, and God just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Okay, I watched Garfield. None of you, none of you watch Garfield. Up. I understand that. You, you just start playing, playing. But God says, I ain't got time to play. If you're going to just sit and play and pray one of those little prayers that somehow God get me out of this, and then I'll serve you, but I ain't planning to do a whole lot. Then Jesus just says, sit in the storm. Let it cook a little bit. Let it get a little bit worse. Let it get a little bit darker. Let it get a little more painful. And when you finally cry out to me, I'll get in the boat. Are you really hungry enough to eat? Yes. Uh, you can tell me, Pastor, please. Oh, help me, Jesus. People call me all the time, Pastor, pray. I'm not feeling very well. And then I'm the only one praying. They hang up the phone, go, go into the kitchen, pull out the bowl of cereal, begin to eat and smile and say, well, at least the pastor's praying. I mean, when you finally get hungry enough to get your healing, you'll get your healing. When you finally get hungry enough to get things changed, things will change in your life. When you get desperate enough that says, I either got to change this or I'm going to die at this moment, I promise you Jesus will know how serious you are and get in the boat. Are you hungry? I want to, oh help me Jesus, I'm going to make some people mad. There is a cause and effect to spiritual consumption. Watch, watch all these. You know the story. I just picked some that we've been preaching. Brother Tip has been preaching. I've been preaching about. Watch this. The woman at the well. Remember when I preached that? Yes. She had to say, give me this water so I won't be thirsty anymore. Before Jesus in John 4 verse 15 gave her the way out. Blind Bartimaeus had to cry out all the more before Jesus stood still. Mark 10 verse 48. Jesus asked, Who touched me? Yes. When a woman who had suffered 12 years and grew worse needed pain relief over her problem. 12 years until Jesus said, Now you touched me. Amen. I mean, you can... You can understand dealing with pain and praying with those little prayers. Jesus, I'm going to the doctor. She spent all of her money. I'm going to find this solution. I'm going to find, will you just tell me if there's a God in heaven? Will you just tell me? If you just, and the Bible said when she had spent it all, Jesus said, now who touched me? It's interesting because you read the rest of that story. Uh, the disciples, the apostles are arguing with her. They, they're, saying, they're saying, Jesus, can't you see that everybody's touching you? Can't you see 
see that we're in this big crowd and, and everybody's brushing up against you? Do you, do you understand, Jesus? Do you, have you lost your mind, Jesus, when, 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 you, when you're standing in this crowd and see thousands touching you and you're going to say, who touched me? Jesus said, yes, because I felt virtue being born out of me. Somebody got hungry enough to eat. And he stopped. And the woman got what she needed. I think of my own life. I think of my own life when sitting in a large conference in Minneapolis. We had went up with Brother Cliff and Sister Marlis to watch Billy Cole preach a Holy Ghost revival. In fact, I can even remember getting lost, Brother Cliff. Uh, the exit was closed off. We ended up on a left exit. And Brother Cliff said, this is okay. I know where we're at. And we just kind of drove right through the city and up. And I, and I was panicking. I like big cities. I can remember everything. But I remember most of all watching my wife walk to the back of that auditorium to try to find a place of prayer because she had a desperate need. She wanted a child. She had prayed every type of prayer she could pray. She had read every type of scripture she could read. They were plastered on our refrigerator. She wrote them down. She memorized them. She walked through the Bible. She kept claiming it. She kept believing it. But that night, we stood in a very large conference so that people could receive the Holy Ghost. And she was in the back corner getting discouraged. And I walked back there trying to be a husband of comfort and say, baby, it's going to be all right. It's, it's okay. And she looked up at me and she said, do you think that man on that platform can pray for me? And I said, no. He isn't here for miracles. He's here for the Holy Ghost. It's not the right time. It's not the right hour. And she looked at me and said, would you be quiet? And she started knocking chairs left and right. And she started marching her way up there. I'm trying to keep up with her running after her saying, don't you embarrass me. Don't you dare embarrass me. I just got my preaching license. Don't step back and said, then go on up. I'm like, no! I'm about 15 yards behind, running at full speed right now, saying, Brother Lehman, you and I are going to talk after all this. We made it up to the top of that platform. She only put her first foot on and stepped onto it. Brother Billy Hulk Cole's head screamed when she threw up both arms and went, ah! They got Billy Cole out of a chair and got him to walk towards where my wife was. He was coming over, not walking at her, but walking at me. And I said, oh, great. And he looked at me. I kid you not, brother. He looked at me, not her, and said, get her to stop screaming. I'm like, yeah, get her to stop screaming. <laughs> he leans over to her and he says, honey, Talk in tongues is a better outlet and put his hand on her and she start talking in tongues. And he asked her, he says, What do you want? But the pain had gotten so great, all she could do was talk in tongues and kept saying to her, What do you want? Finally he gave up and came to me and says, What does she want? I said, Well, she wants a baby. He said, Oh, give her a baby, he walked away. <laughs> Much like Hannah of old, she came to an altar where the priest walked up and said, I don't understand what's going on. You must be drunk. You, there must be something wrong with you. You must have lost your ever-loving mind 
And Eli the priest looked at her and said, whatever she wants, just give it to her. And went walking away. That night, that night opened the door to the miraculous. That night opened up the door to, to the adoption of Sophia. That night began something so great and so grand in our life. Not because the preacher had enough faith. Not because the preacher was hungry enough. But because the preacher's wife said, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care the embarrassment. I don't care what people think of me. I am hungry enough and sick and tired enough to say tonight has got to be the night. How hungry are you? Are you hungry enough to embarrass yourself? Are you hungry enough to walk over things? Are you hungry enough to overlook people? Are you hungry enough to overlook protocol? Are you hungry enough to get up and say, no matter what it takes, I've got to get to that altar, and I've got to hear from God, and I've got to get what I need. Are you really hungry enough to get the change that you want? I didn't learn anything about desire by a book. I learned it by watching that precious woman night after night ask God and beseech God and pray to God. I watched that woman that I married begin to do things in the spirit that I desperately thought I needed to have to my life. And what it really came down to was something as simple as hunger pains. Are you hungry enough to eat? Are you hungry enough to get what you need? Listen about this. The human body is an amazing thing. Medical science tells us this. After the initial pain you feel from hunger, when you go without food, watch what happens. Medical science says the brain simply throws a switch and the pain goes away. Convincing your body you don't need food. Many people have fast and fast in this church that says somewhere or the gym you ask the question, somewhere around day three or four, you no longer have the pain because something happens in your brain when you're fasting that says it's going to be okay and flips a switch and you no longer feel the need to eat. But if that is left in that condition, a condition where you can go days, brother. Or Todd Burner was here like yesterday. He said that on a, after he got up from prayer one day, he began a 40-day fast with no preparation, no food. He drank water and 40 days. He went 40 days, went to the doctor at the end. They said, it's okay, your electrolytes are just a little low, but you can do that. Medical science says you can go a number of days, even weeks, without eating because the body has a switch that'll say you can switch that pain off. But if continued in that condition, eventually your body will start to malfunction. Your organs will begin to suffer and shut down. If you leave it in that condition, eventually your immune system will begin to shut off. And you will start to become sick by everything that comes your way. You will become sick because you no longer have a built-in immune system to protect you. Meanwhile, doctors say that brain that sucks the switch off when left in that condition, your mind will tell you, doctors say, your mind will begin to play tricks on you and you will begin to lose focus and nothing anymore is important. <coughs> if left in that situation because you can no longer concentrate on it. That's the hunger. That's the steps of hunger. You can go for a while but not feel anything. 
You can go for a while and all of a sudden get mad at the very institutions of things that were meant to protect you, shut down and no longer become important to you. You can go long enough where all of a sudden your mind will start making things up and you'll become delusional and you'll become, you'll, you'll be coming to a point where you can't focus anymore or grasp what is going on. Let me repeat the steps real quickly it, it, just so that you can get what I'm preaching at. Step one, the initial pain serves a purpose. Medical science says it tells you it's time to eat. Step two, when you refuse to listen to that, your brain will convince you you no longer need it. You hear me today? Step three, by the time that you figure out you no longer need it, your organs will begin to malfunction. The things that once kept you going will stop working. Step four, the very system that was used to keep you healthy now gives up on you and you become very sick. Number five, at this point, you lose your mind and give up the will to go any further. The steps of hunger, as medical science declares it. James chapter 2, verse 15 says, If a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, James chapter 5, or James chapter 2, verse 15, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, Daily food. Ever say daily. daily? I wish you'd read your Bible daily. I wish you would pray daily. I, I, I wish you would consume and eat of the Word of God daily. And it's hard for me in 45-minute sermon to give you enough nutrients that you'll be able to survive. Verse 16 goes on to say, And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace and be warm and filled Notwithstanding you, give them not these things which are needful to the body. What to the prophet? And that isn't what really messed me up. I understand the need for daily consumption. I understand the need not to send someone away hungry. But the next verse in verse 17 says, Even so, or likewise, or in the same manner, if it hath not works, faith it is dead being alone. In other words, if you don't feed the hunger, he'll die. If you don't do something about the hunger, he'll die. If you don't get hungry enough to eat for yourself, he'll die. The same example if faith. If it hath not works, it's dead being alone. You can't live one without the other. Hunger was supposed to produce an action in you. And on your part, you were supposed to eat. Hunger was supposed to be the trigger in that first stage that would cause you to do something about the hunger. Hunger in that first stage was supposed to be the indication that God was about doing some great things and it was supposed to cause you to get up and prove what is going on. If left in that first state, hunger is a good thing that was supposed to produce action. Faith without works is dead. They ask you, what are you doing about the pain? What are you doing about 
the hunger? What are you doing about the desire? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What stage are you in? Has the brain convinced you in step one that you don't need it anymore? And you've just convinced yourself to live without it? Let me get really honest in the club because I see that some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Have you just got stuck in a marriage where you think this has got to be the same way it's got to be until the day you die? Or are you planning to do something about it? Have you got stuck in a situation where you just said, well, same old, same old, so this ain't going to ever change, and you just learn to accept it and do nothing about it? Are you in that same stage where all of a sudden you've convinced yourself somehow you don't really need this healing? I mean, you prayed for it for a while, but you just don't really need it. Stage are you in? Have you just shut that desire off and said, I don't need it? It's fine. I'll just live to learn without it. It's fine. I don't need to do anything about it. See, the hunger was supposed to trigger desire in you. The hunger was given by God so that it would produce action in you. The hunger for whatever you needed, that marriage to fix, that pain to go away, that problem to be, be, be healed, that hunger was supposed to trigger not shutting down, but an action in you that would say, I am going forth. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what I got to do. I don't care if I got to knock some chairs down. I don't know if I got to break through a crowd. I don't know if I got to get on my knees and crawl to his feet. But I am feeling hungry enough to do something about it. That hunger was supposed to trigger the action in you. But you can shut it down in your mind and say, I really didn't need it anyway. You can trick the brain into saying, oh well, it's fine. I didn't really want that anyway. See, it was the hunger in my life that drove us to a church in the first place. It was the marriage that was failing. It was my wife that was struggling with depression. It was the alcohol in me that said there's got to be something better that triggered the desire. And I didn't start off by going to a Pentecostal church. I went to this church and I went to that church and I went to that church and I went to this church and I went to that church and one night I walked in the back door almost being drugged into a Pentecostal church and I heard the music and I heard the tambourine and I heard the drums and I heard the bass but I'm like, what? the world. These people are crazy. But something started happening and I'm like, what was that? That tastes like nourishment. That tastes like, what is going on? We got in the car that night and looked at my wife. She's supposed to be the spiritual one. She was raised in church. She was in a great Methodist church in Sheldon and she's supposed to want to have all the answers. And I looked at her and I said, what was that? And she looked over and said, I don't have a clue what that was. But we both said at the same time, whatever it was, we got to go back next Sunday because it met a need that we've been looking for for the last year and a half. It fulfilled something inside of me that I never felt before. And that hunger was starting to be filled. That hunger pain was starting to be paid attention to. And it worked. But if you let that brain shut that off, if you convince yourself, well, the pastor, uh, every altar call, I come up and ask the pastor to pray for me, and me praying, it just doesn't happen, so I'm just going to give up this accept it. You are in danger. Because the next several stages, you'll eventually lose your mind. You can't live without it. I'm here to preach to you this, this morning that you shouldn't live without it. 
that it should become such a desire that every time we get together, I don't want to hear you say, I know, church, I know you've all prayed for this for last week, but I'm going to bring it up again. I'm so sorry. It shouldn't cause you to apologize for something you desperately need. It should cause you to come in here with faith every single Sunday and say, look, I'm praying one more time. Look, I'm not giving up on this Sunday. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to feed that need until it's full. My wife never apologized for asking a preacher to pray for her when we wanted children. My wife never apologized. She never backed down. She never stood flat foot and said, look, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't be asking you to pray because I want a child. Every church sermon, pray for me, I want a child. Pray for me, I want a child. Pray for me, I want a child. Pray for me, shut up. Pray for me, I want a child. To her husband started shutting off and saying, you know, it's okay. It may be God's will that we don't have children. It is like, she might be quiet. <laughs> I remember coming home from work one day and I looked around the house. My wife was gone, but I heard this noise coming from our bedroom. And I started walking up there and she was praying up there. And I walked up there and she don't remember this, but she was just feeding the need. I walked in, I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm praying for a child. I said, oh, here we go again. And she said, you know what? When God gives us a child by birth, because I already convinced her we were going to die. And that was God's will. She said, no, when God gives a child by birth, he told me it'd be a boy. I said, okay, that's nice. She said, no, it's not nice. I read where Sarah had a child and she had a boy. I read where Hannah had a boy and a child and he had a boy and she had a boy. And she started quoting all these scriptures. Going, I'm like, okay, that's nice. That's really, that's, that's great, honey. That's okay. And I just kept telling her, you know, it's probably God's will for us just to give that boy. She said, okay, we'll do it at United Goo. And we decided to adopt, and that's where Sophia comes in the picture. And I, and please don't misunderstand me, and Sophie knows this too. We're not trying to do anything. One night she's in church, in church, and somebody leans over and says, well, is the desire satisfied yet? One thing you need to know about my wife, she don't lie, and sometimes she doesn't make it sound nice. She's, lying, she's a doer. She's lying like Sister Vicky. They just know I don't have any way to do it other than blunt. And she looked over to that lady and said, No, it's not. So the ladies were like, Oh, well, you have a child, isn't that enough? She said, No, I want to give birth to a child. And we walked away. I don't think anybody talked to us. I think we just left the room. And she basically, even to this day, she said, I really didn't care what they asked. I had a hunger pain that I was refusing my mind to shut off. I had a hunger pain that, that said nothing else, nothing else can satisfy. It was the will of God for us to adopt Sophia. It was the will of God for us to be her parents. It was the will of God. And we love her very desperately. But that hunger said there's this other path that's got to be fulfilled also. And that's how we met Martin. Martin was preaching a service in Muscatine, Iowa. And there's just very few people in there. Uh, I've joked around. There's like seven or six people in there. Three of them are like in their 80s or 90s. And two of them are guys. And he's talking about your miracle being delayed but not denied. And my wife jumped over Sophia. <laughs> Sitting right about where Ted Connie is. My wife was where Connie was. Sophia was right there. And at the altar call, she jumped over Sophia. 
She said, Sophie, I love you. Your will's got God's will, but that's not what met is going to meet the need. Jumped over that and said, I will not be denied. I will not settle. I will not compromise. I will not give up until this hunger is met. And she did the same thing she did to Billy Cole, to Mark Tipton. She threw up her arms and began screaming right about here. I was sitting over here. Uh, I was supposed to be on the platform, but I wasn't good enough. I was just on a chair off the platform. I said, oh, help me, Jesus. Because there's nobody else in this church that's praying. So I stood behind her like this, like a brain soldier. I hope that the preachers know that this is my wife. Yeah. Are you hungry enough to eat? It's not embarrassing. There are a lot of things that, God's, that God has in store for you. There are a lot of things that are God's will for you. It's not compromising to accept one and not be satisfied about the other. It's not a compromise for you to say, okay, God, I'll receive this, but I still want this. That's not a compromise. That's a hunger that's deep inside of you that can only be satisfied until when, it, when it's completed. Amen. Hunger does crazy things. Hunger was intended to, 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 to connect you to activity. And the good news was, Jesus said, if you hungered and thirst after righteousness, after the right things, you would be filled. I look around and I wonder sometimes, when's the last time you ate? I wonder sometimes, when's the last time you prayed for that miracle? I wonder what sometimes, when's the last time you really believed God was going to fix that marriage or heal that disease? When, really, honestly, when was the last time, other than your little perfect Pentecostal um, verbiage that just says, you know, just pray for me. Pray for me. God knows. Pray that whatever His will is will satisfy that need. Just pray. You know, when is the last time you got desperate enough to say, I am not leaving here until I have eaten enough to satisfy that need? Or has your brain convinced you you didn't need it? You don't need that miracle. Or are you even worse off yet where you have begun to shut things off eternally? Where you don't even ask to pray anymore. You just sit there. Because you've shut completely down. Or worse yet. Have you started to give up on the immune system? The very thing that was sent to protect you. The very thing that was sent to help you. The very thing that was sent to provide nourishment. Have, have you gotten to that place in your life where you no longer even enjoy church? I don't need it anymore. I, I'm, I'm more spiritual than that. I, I, I don't need that anymore. I, I've grown farther than that. I, I don't need that anymore. The immune system begins to shut down and, and all of a sudden you're unprotected from things that would come away. Now you're walking out. Not just saying you don't need church, but now everything in church offends you. Have you let hunger do that much damage to you that, that all of a sudden you're walking out saying, I didn't like the way they looked at me. I didn't like their testimony. I didn't, I didn't like Brother Tyler was leading this one. I didn't like Brother Tyler leading music. That's not how we normally do it. He's supposed to sing two verses, then one chorus. He's singing one verse, then a chorus. He messed my whole flow up. 
And if I got to listen to one more sermon from that preacher, I, I just, I don't know if I can take it anymore. If, if you really let the hunger do that much damage, then now the immune system is gone. Or worse yet, the final stages of hunger has your mind begin to snap to the point where you have already become delusional. Where you, where you can't focus anymore, where you can't concentrate on where you, where you just say, you know what, I don't even need to read the Bible anymore. I can't focus on it anyway. I just give up, put the Bible away. I don't need to read After all, I know the doctor better than the pastor. I mean, I, I, I could quote it better than he can. I, I know more about the Bible. He's 46 years old. What's that young man telling me about the Bible? He don't need to tell me about the Bible. I already know the Bible. I read the Bible more than he's been alive. I've read it through 47 times. He only 47. I don't need it anymore. I'm just going to put it away. And you wake up and find out that year after year you haven't read your Bible. Year after year you haven't prayed. Year after year you let hunger do so much damage that it doesn't really matter anymore because you can't focus, you can't concentrate. And the, the, the medical science says the very last step is death. Death. Please don't sit in this church just waiting to die. Please don't come here Sunday after Sunday sitting in a pew and just saying, well, I'm just waiting for that last step. Death. I'm just waiting for it just to rot and die. I'm just waiting for, for, the, for the guts to fall out just for me, me just to die and waste away. Let me ask you, aren't you hungry enough to eat? Please, please don't give up on that miracle. Aren't you hungry enough to still see God do it in your life? Don't, don't walk away and just convince yourself you don't need it. Please, don't walk out of here and say, I don't need to eat at all anymore. I want you to stand with me this morning. Please, don't give up on that miracle. Please, don't convince yourself that marriage isn't worth Jesus Christ's time. Please, don't convince yourself that it's your will to live in depression or anxiety. Don't you dare satisfy your mind and play into the tricks of your mind. The medical professionals say that one of the worst things that can happen is watch somebody waste away for lack of nourishment. Because the body will turn on itself and begin to eat itself. Listen. I've been pastor long enough and I fought cancer myself and I've been around people with cancer. You, you sit at the bedside of someone struggling with cancer and you watch what used to be a 250 pound grown man all of a sudden weighing 90 pounds or what used to be a spiritual giant in your eye looked like nothing but skin and bones and just waste away until they hit 90 then 80 pounds then 70 pounds and then 60 pounds and you're looking at them saying this is not the same person that I knew. This is not the same person that I looked up to. This is not the strong person that I need. All because the body has turned on itself and says I don't need nourishment anymore. The worst things of the past was in this pulpit night after night, day after day, looking at people that are spiritual giants and watch them eat themselves to death internally. Organs shutting down, immune system shutting down, offenses bothering them, struggle and pain all around them. Say, would you please eat? Please eat. Or watch that sister that used to come to the altar every service and say, listen, I know you're tired of hearing about my marriage, but would you pray one more time? It's got to work, it's got to work, it's got to work. All of a sudden, just to sit in a pew and say, it's okay. 
I don't need it anymore. I'll just live that way. When's the last time you prayed for your spouse? When's the last time you believed that God was going to do it? stretching this out because I'm trying for the Holy Ghost just to work you up until your guts get tossed up and, and, and ripped apart and you just say you know what I can't take it anymore I've got to eat, I've got to feed this, I've got to get my desire back when's the last time you believed God was going to heal you oh you say spiritual things like I can pray for everybody else's healing, I just can't pray for my healing, well you're not hungry enough Maybe it hasn't gotten bad enough. Jesus walking on the water would have walked right by the storm until the people cried out and said, Look, I don't even know what you are, God. Oh, it looks like a spirit to me. I don't know. It looks like this might be the end. But Jesus! Please get in the boat! This altar is open right now. I want you to come running. I don't want you to give up. Are you hungry enough to eat? Yes, Jesus. Is the desire strong enough that you're not willing to give up food and nourishment? Man, when you first started praying for that, you looked like a spiritual giant. You looked like somebody that was 6'8 and 250 pounds. But service after service, service after service, service after service, you dropped down spiritually 190, 140, 120, 100 pounds. Your cheekbones have sunk in. Your eye sockets have pulled in. Your wrists now are visible. Every bone in your body is visible. And I'm saying, don't give up. Would you eat? You're hungry enough to eat. You're hungry enough to eat today. I started off by telling you that it was God that allowed you to hunger in the first place. God did that. God did that. God did that. Why? Because even the spiritual realm was supposed to trigger a desire to eat. It was supposed to get you up off the lazy boy into prayer. It was supposed to get you off the couch and on your knees. It was supposed to get you from doing other things to stop and say, God, i got to pray about this. God caused you to hunger. God caused you to hunger. something about it? Yes! God caused that anger to come towards me so I would do something about it? Yes! Hunger was intended to cause activity. Not get you convinced that it's not worth it. And shut your mind down and say, I don't need it. Oh. God, oh, I'm starting to feel the hunger pain again. That's natural. That's needed. That's normal. Listen to it. It's telling you to eat. It's telling you instead of not praying on Monday, pray. It's telling you instead of stepping, instead of sitting in front of that computer looking at Facebook, oh, Monday night is telling you to get up and pray. 
I'm telling you to go to the refrigerator and see if there's anything in there. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. The hunger had a purpose. The storm was sent by God Himself. Don't let Him walk by today. Don't let Him walk by today. Cheer, let Him walk by today. God, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up today. 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 Some of you are starting to feel the pain again. You're backing it up. You're backing it up. No more excuses about the pain. The pain was sent to cause action. No more hiding from the pain. It was sent to cause action. No more reason to ignore the pain. It was sent to produce action in you.
we just listen for what God wants to say, why don't you just hush just a little bit, raise your hand to heaven. Spiritual gifts are in operation right now. Just calm your spirit. Oh, 
He's the great I am. The great I am. The great I am. The great I am. I am all you need. If God fix this, fix this, nobody else can. If God doesn't restore this marriage, nobody else can. If God doesn't do it, there's no other choice. Push through it. Push through it. Push through it. 